Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to this week's episode of That Scale RC Show. I can't believe we're already on number 93. And uh, this week we brought a special guest on last minute. Uh, we have Ty from Tekin uh, and he'll be joining myself and Jay. How's it going, guys? Good. Good, man. And it was a fun fact. We were talking about this right before we hit record. Ty was back with us on episode 14, which would have been July 16th of 2019. That's how long ago it's been since we've had Ty on the show, which is ridiculous. It's too long, definitely. <laughs> Not only is it too long, I mean, we've been doing it for that long? Yeah, that's the crazy I know. Part. It seems like Jay was just telling me, like, hey, we're going to start this podcast, and I'm like, sweet, dude. <laughs> and now here we are. It's like, what, two and a half years later? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, <laughs> so yeah, so how about we just oh, go ahead, take a minute and uh, catch up on what you've been up to? Oh, man, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of projects at work, um, you know, obviously – tons of builds going on all the time i've got myself spread across like six different builds right now um couple cool projects just for uh Tekken products we just got done with some pretty big software and firmware updates for the hotwire and for the escs uh new off-road track racing version and on-road also and then we did the 280 drag software earlier this year and now we're up to version 293 you know, I'm just kind of fine tuning and uh, learning a lot as we go with that one because you guys know drag racing is absolutely insane and has already advanced, you know, leaps and bounds just in the last six, seven months. So crazy. So that's been yeah. keeping us pretty busy. Yeah, but <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on with the drag racing. It seems like you guys are having to do a lot more like customer service stuff with drag racing than you did with racing. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a lot of just customer education at this point, like, you know, teaching people, like, the do's and don'ts. Like, obviously, you shouldn't free rev your boosted two-turn motor on the bench with no tires on your car. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that is just, you know, they do it, and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it to check my data logs. And I'm like, well, that's cool, but you're probably going to grenade the rotor in your motor, and that might take your ESE out at the same time because that thing is just going so crazy fast with no load, and it's just horrible on stuff. What if I try lighting my RX-8 on fire? What do I do, what um, do, I do then? I, I, yeah. can, I, can I warranty <laughs> it? And <laughs> oh, Dude. You guys have seen it all. <laughs> That's a nasty one. That one sucks to deal with for sure. Yeah, that was probably one of the... I mean, it, it's funny, but at the same time, I feel bad because having to deal with it. So, yeah, it's yeah. funny uh, stuff. It kind of, it kind of, you know, it was at, at a horrible time for my dad and I and just everybody, really. I mean, doing all this new software and stuff, like, we're feeling really good about how things are going and, like, we're kind of picking back up on you know our product flow and being able to amp up production kind of like how it used to be um you know because we can finally start sourcing some of the parts and stuff we need and you know the plastic mold guys are kind of back on schedule like not as far out as they used to be and you know we were feeling pretty good and then you have to deal with a freaking shit storm like that and it wasn't 
it wasn't very fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that stuff never is. <clears throat> it's a hostile environment out there, too. People are not kind to delays or... Oh, yeah, no, you know, not at all. Everyone's just everyone's just edgy right now, dude. Like, not even an RC, just, just people in general. Like, the whole world is just, I feel like, on edge. You're, you know? you're yeah, right, dude. You can extra. feel it when you go out. Like... I mean, just even little things like holding doors open for people and stuff. And like, usually the social interaction that would take place, you know, like, you know, oh, thank you or whatever. Like, even that stuff is like, there's kind of tension that you feel, you know, when you're out and about. And it, it's not very fun. Yeah. Well, what's funny is like that you brought that up because last night we did takeout and I went up to the door and I saw someone coming. So I held it open and they got all like kind of like, do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay? And it's like, I'm not holding the door open for my health, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I think it's a twofold now because you got, I mean, because it was already bad before. I mean, I don't know if I've said this story before, but um, before the world went crazy, uh, I, I've always been a person that opens the door if I see someone coming. I, you know, that's always just been something I do. And right. I get vocal when they just walk by. It's like they're, you know, because it's like you do it and they just like walk by like it's, oh, it was expected. So I'd be like, oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> and then they'd be, and then we kind of like don't know what to say. So I was already that way before, but now it's kind of like funny because it's like it gets frustrating because like you hold it open and they get all kind of like scared and it's like, Okay, you can still walk through the door. Like, Open the door, to. and you can pass freely. That's why I'm not blocking it. Like, yeah, I just okay, whatever. But um, it's also to go back to like that whole thing with like the manufacturing stuff. It's like I'm not in that world, but the world I'm in, like for instance, today it was really irritating, and I've and I've started noticing this a lot within the last like two to three months. So we wrapped up one of our projects and it was like this outdoor gazebo thing, um, patio kind of thing that this guy wanted. And uh, we were doing all the lights and he has four outdoor heaters. Well, the heaters have this um, timer. So like you can set it to no timer. Like you can just have it on all the time. You can do like a five minute, 10 minute, and then you can adjust the heat, um, the heat so that way if like you want full blast whatever and uh yesterday we tested it all and we're like all right cool everything works today we got there and we had to finish doing all uh, the rest of the lights and i go all right i'm gonna put the heater on nothing's working and i'm going what the hell we just tested this yesterday and everything worked fine like what is going on so me and my boss pulled it apart and we tested everything the timer already took a shit we bypassed the timer put the wires together everything works flawlessly and we're like really this thing's brand new and it's already got problems and it's not the first time that's happened there's there's like other projects we've worked on and you go and do something or like for instance um we were trimming out a house and inside the a sealed box of like 20 can trims one of them was not the same so it's like how does the person or however loading all these up how do you grab the wrong entirely different thing and put it in there with the other 20 that are correct it's like i just i just don't understand like the if it's like because everybody's in a rush the quality control is like not there um 
That's probably I mean, part I of it. Crazy. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I see like yesterday I went to the doctors and like the amount of like help wanted signs and stuff I saw in buildings and, you know, on like signboards and stuff out on the road, even like, I mean, from like nice restaurants to the dollar store, even, I mean, like everybody's looking for employees. So I think that a lot of stuff is probably people like pulling double duty and just aren't, you know, they're under so much pressure that they're probably not paying attention, you know, like, like, like if they had like an actual like shipping person, you know, it's probably like one dude trying to do everything. Yep. Yeah. So I was just saying like, it's kind of weird that I've noticed that like, you know, as of lately, like you get a brand new product and it's already like broken, doesn't work right. Or there's fitment issues. I mean, the same thing actually was ironic. So the timer didn't work. So we bypassed that to get it up and running until the new one comes in, which we could be waiting another two to three weeks. And then we were putting the light bulbs in that the owner had supplied. He ordered like a big old, you know, economy kit. And uh, we put one in and we went to test all the lights. One light didn't work. We look at each other like, really? So we're thinking like, is it wired wrong? Do we like screw something up? Like when we were, you know, putting something together, he's like, go make sure that bulb's tight. No, it's tight. Pulled it out, put a, put a brand new one in like another brand new one fired right up. Well, brand new bulb already doesn't work. We're just like, it's, it's one of those things. We're just like, wow, it's crazy. And I think that's part of why people get all, you know, antsy because it's like, you know, they're expecting everything to just work or this be a certain way. And then it's not. So they get all bent out of shape. Yeah. Yep. Yep, even with RC stuff, especially with RC stuff. That's something I'll, I probably just will never understand, though, is just how people get more upset and pissed off about RC stuff than, like, their car that they depend on to drive to work every day. Like, it just, some of that stuff's mind-blowing. Yeah, I've had plenty of RC products that, you know, one of them fits, the other one doesn't, and they're both the exact same part. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I just and I get it. It's frustrating, dude. Like when you get something stupid, like a bearing that the inner diameter is like too small, just barely, and it won't fit on a freaking stub axle or something dumb like yep. that. And I swear it happens to me more often than it should. I don't know why. Just my dad and I are skilled in the art of getting the weird one out of like the five hundred on the shelf. That's funny. I, you know, I, th- I kid you not. He will pick a mo. <laughs> Or something, you know, out of a batch, and he'll grab the one that has a problem, and then he's like, "Oh no, we have to check all of these," and it's literally the only one that has whatever problem it was. Oh, that'd suck. <laughs> and plus, I I don't think people like when you're telling a story like that. I don't think people quite understand the volume of you know, unless they have seen you guys post pictures like when you got RX eights in and you had them all sitting out, you know, ready for packaging and stuff like that. Like, I I. I think the average person probably has no idea just like how many you have to go and check when something like that actually does happen. Oh yeah, man. Thousands, you know, when you've got them all in there and uh, it, you know, you accidentally update them with the wrong, you know, we put drag firmware in them instead of the off-road firmware. And then you find one and you're like, Oh great. Now we have to check all of these again. It's yeah, we <laughs> went through a thing like that. My mom was doing books today and she like accidentally started doing June all over again instead of July. I was just like, "Hey, 
Take a break. I, I know how it goes. Just take a break. Well, I guess the big news here and the reason why it, Ty coming on was kind of a last minute thing and it just worked out perfectly because the big news this week, of course, is the Vanquish VS410 Phoenix. And we're lucky enough to have Ty here because he just got done building one. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and then uh, we can actually just let you answer people's questions about it. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try and answer them all as best I can. Um, it was definitely it was a cool build, you know. You kind of if you built a VS410 in the past, you know, the Ultra, the Pro, or the Origin, they're all you know same frame rails and uh, very similar with all the bracing and everything. So very is a very familiar build. Um, but you start out with the new axles is the first thing you get to put together, and those are. Um, everybody well not everybody there were definitely some people that were questioning what material they were made out of but the difference with this truck and all the past vp trucks is that it's got plastic axle housings on it instead of machined aluminum like we're used to seeing from vanquish um which the main reason they did that was to bring the price down you know so they have a um more budget friendly you know entry level vs410 to get that guy that you know maybe 850 or whatever for the ultra was too much you know and this one comes in at 499 so i think that's pretty good i think that price is you know right in line with other kits of similar feature sets and that people are used to you know like you take the the axial scx 10 3 uh, i think is like 399 you know and there might be some discounts and stuff to knock a little off that but for only 100 bucks more you're getting a vanquish product um it not only has a new F10 portal design, but it also has that new VFD twin transmission. So that right there is, you know, more than worth that extra hundred bucks just because of the features that that transmission has. Right. So I, uh, like, like I said, we started with the axles and they're, you know, very typical VP quality. I mean, for a plastic axle housing, like it's, pretty dang solid like the material feels it's like you know when you feel plastic and like it just feels like a good plastic like you can just tell like okay this is probably really tough stuff and it flexes just a little bit but it still has that rigidity and like wall thickness that you're like yeah i can probably step on this and it won't break yeah like that's what the plastics in these kits feel like now rad so it's it uses the same uh you know ar44 style high point gears um, so all the internals are very similar to other Vanquish axles. Um, they are portals. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent on portals. I, I think portals definitely have their place and some people love them. Some people don't really care for them. I'm kind of in the, I wouldn't say I don't care, but I think they only belong on like specific builds. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like Unimogs obviously need a portal you know, comp buggies, which is probably what I'm going to do with these axles eventually is throw them underneath one of the moon buggy chassis that I've got sitting around. Nice. Um, I was going to say, yeah. amen, again, somebody else says the same stuff we've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love them. I love that people have the portal option. Like, I definitely see the allure. Like, these things have super ground clearance. So I like that, you know, but 
you also have less suspension travel and shorter shocks and your center gravity is a little higher you know there's there's definitely some trade-offs um but i'll probably run these under this truck for a bit before i swap them out to that other truck and then go straight axle on this thing just i almost like the added challenge of a straight axle yeah you know and having to be a little bit more careful on picking lines and stuff but as far as plastic portals goes these nail it dude like they're they're super stout they have brass you know insert tubes that sleeve the axle shafts inside really so, yeah oh, it wow. comes with the brass inserts on both sides no way that's killer yep you know and then the it's got uh universals on it instead of the cvs that they did on the ultra axles um again probably to bring the price down a little bit but you still get like 49 degrees of steering with this thing. It's insane. Like it looks broken when you turn full lock. The whole front end is just like the tires are leaned so far over. You're like, wow. <laughs> That's rad. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to drive it. So. That's a beautiful truck. Man, it looks good. It's, I mean, you know, I'm definitely, I would consider myself a Vanquish fanboy. I just, I've liked their stuff ever since it first started coming out back in like the comp rig days when scale wasn't even really a thing, like just their wheels, you know, and the machining quality is, is pretty much like second to nobody, you know, and they're all such good guys. Like I know them all really well now. And I love the fact that all their machining is done here. Um, you know, the guys that are designing the stuff, like they're just, they're just cool guys. And like, they like this kind of stuff, you know, they are scale guys designing scale trucks for other scale enthusiasts that's awesome so but yeah the axles that's those are those are one obviously big you know highlight item but honestly for me the coolest thing is the new transmission that the twin they call it the vfd twin which is mind-blowing. When I first saw the pictures of that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this thing is just crazy. Like, selectable overdrive. and Yeah. When Brandon showed me the pictures, like, way before any of this, I got to see a CAD drawing. And I was like, what in the world? Like, how did you stuff all of that inside the transfer case? Like, yeah, it's a little bit bigger than the normal VFD transfer case or like the dig that you normally can slap on the back of that guy. But I mean, it, it's pretty cool how he pulled it off, you know, and having two arms on one brass pivot point right in the center. So, I mean, they're very low resistance. They shift super easy. And I mean, I love having dig. That's a really cool option. Um, definitely use it for you know, making tight turns or, you know, dragging the rear end downhill to basically slow down. But the front, you basically have a two-speed transmission, but only on your front axle. So you go from 6% overdrive to, or 6.5% overdrive to 33% overdrive by just switching a button on your radio. That is so sick. You know, five years ago, I don't think any of us would even have imagined it would get to this point where, you know, we would have transmissions and stuff for these trucks that are that technical. I mean, that's, I don't know. The whole thing's just mind-blowing, and it's sick that they weren't just like, I mean, obviously, like, the VFD trans is super, super nice and 
kind of like ahead of its time but the fact that they just weren't like okay you know that's good enough let's ride it out for like four or five Mm. years you know like they're already you know making improvements and coming out with a new version like it's i don't know it's just cool to see people that are just super dedicated like that and always trying to crank out new product and stuff and make you know build a better mousetrap basically it's dude it's a pretty uh fine-tuned mousetrap like and it's really not that complicated if you if you look at it you know front axle rear axle your your front axle is basically a two-speed you know like the two speeds we've been used to seeing forever right and it's got the same kind of, you know, push a push a drive dog into this gear, push a drive dog into that gear for your two different speeds. Um, and same thing with the rear dig, you know, it's it's the same drive dog. You just you have one position that it shoves it all the way to the back of the transfer case, and it hits a a lock pin inside of there that it keys into, and then it locks the rear end up. Or you can go all the way forward, and that engages the gear drive. Or you can set it right in the middle and freewheel. So, and you can actually freewheel on the front and the back. I don't know why you would ever need to do that, <laughs> but you can unhook the front, you know, and be hooning around rear wheel drive if you want to, or, you know, unhook all of it and tow it behind your RV scaler. I don't know. Like there's tons that of things you could do with so it. so rad. Nice. Well, should we, uh, should we dump into questions since most of them probably revolve around that rig? I haven't looked on Facebook yeah, yet. Yeah, Let's I'm see. Um, usually, like when we have Travis, got like a list of all the questions no, I, and stuff. <laughs> and I have them right here. Did you? Wow. And it's actually kind of embarrassing because I, neither one of us communicated. Oh, so when I posted up, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I didn't really. It's okay. <laughs> There's. It's okay. The first one that I posted up, there really was only one question from Dan Sutherland. Um, and then basically the rest was him showing off the body because that's what I posted was his body with our little, that scale, our show sticker in the window. Basically he said thoughts on the new vanquish rig. I want one. I have the itch to build a new rig. Um, so thoughts, um, since we're discussing this personally, I think it's, you know, it's awesome. It's a good looking rig. Um, I'm curious to know why they named it Phoenix. That's one. I don't know if, if Ty, if you have any info on that, but I'm always curious to know how they like name some of this stuff. Like some of it's like pretty obvious, but Phoenix was a little interesting because um, typically most people pick something like that because, you know, oh, Phoenix rises from the ashes. It was something that was destroyed and, you know, that kind of deal. Um, so right. kind of curious. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's awesome. And, just to piggyback on the whole transmission thing, uh, when I was talking with my buddy about this yesterday, he was like, well, I don't get it. You know, how do you do this? And I said, basically, it's like putting a doubler in your real wheeler. You're, you got a twin stick, so you're able to, like, change, you know, that many, you know, different um, categories to get the gear ratio you want. Except for this way, it's just with a couple different um, outputs out of the transmission for the front axle. So, Right. Yeah, it doesn't double everything. You just have like individual control for the front and the yeah. rear axle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with the first question. Nick LaRusso, does the VP Phoenix body remind you of an older FJ? Yes. Uh, definitely. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. 
It screams FJ45 pickup for sure. Yes. But, but and I better. Love kinda, like, <laughs> FJ45, but better. I think it is like the X accented fender flares and like the bed is a little different. The bed's cool. But then if you peek over the bedside or look at it from the back, it's a whole tube rear end with just, you know, like short course style fenders bolted onto it. So yeah. it's really not a bed. It's, it's basically, it's, I would classify it as a truggy as it sits. It just has panels that right. make it look like a full bed. The timing of that coming out is funny. Like I, I don't know. Do you follow Kibby Tech at all on Instagram? He's a like pre runner and trophy truck manufacturer. Like he he does some. He has a couple Haas CNC machines, and he makes some of the most beautiful one to one stuff I've ever seen. But he just recently did a Willys that is built very very similar to how the Phoenix looks. It's really a cool cool build, and it was just funny that like the timing of this happened to be about the same. I'll have to go check that out. It's pretty rad. Um, I'll just ask the second question that is in uh, relation to uh, the Phoenix. Uh, it's from Chris Trudeau. Uh, so opinions on the new patent pending selectable transmission by Vanquish. Uh, that's question number one. Then I'll ask the second part. Um, kind of already talked about that. I think that's awesome. Um, it's kind of taking what Element did with their transmission, but adding it so now it's selectable. You're not just stuck with physically putting in what you want. You have, you know, the option to change. So I think that's pretty, I think that in itself is what puts it, you know, a notch above the rest. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it, obviously I, I love seeing innovation and, and stuff like that. I just love, you know, seeing how they pulled that off. Um, I don't know how much I would actually use it when I'm just out, you know, trail chilling, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if there's a certain line that like maybe one of my other trucks can't pull, but like kicking in basically kicking the front axle into second gear, uh, would help me get up over that. Like, I don't know. It'll be cool to take it out to some of the spots that I frequently hit and just like see, you know, how it stacks up to like the other VS 410s. Cause all of those I have set up with just the regular six and a half percent overdrive. Um, Cause I don't like to drive around with a ton of overdrive. I think that's kind of silly and you're just dragging the rear end all over the place, but I don't know for this, this, I think it's a little too complicated for some and maybe more feature set than they're going to want. But you also don't have to use it. You can just build it as a regular VFD if you want. I think the parts were actually in the kit. Um, or you don't have to put servos in it. You can actually lock the, the twin stick uh, shift levers with the set screws. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So I just like that it gives people you know tons of options that some will complain that it's too complicated and some will complain that uh, I don't need a shiftable front axle, and you're like, well, cool, you can do it however you want. So I, I like that yeah. part about it. It's very sim- that's it's like the very similar mindset to how Axial, when they came out with the ten three, said you can lock out both function both functions on the transmission if you didn't want the dig or the two speed, or vice versa if you just wanted the dig, you could lock out the two speed 
and so on and so forth. So I think that's it. Giving people options so they can tune it to their their liking is always a big plus. Yep, for sure. So Jay, did you want to weigh in on that at all before I ask the second part? I I just had another like compliment on it because I'm sitting here looking at some pictures my buddy posted while uh, you guys were talking about it, and like I'm looking at the shift the shift link on it and it looks like it's either aluminum or stainless too with you know tracks of style rod ends like i mean it just cracks me up that like even like the shift linkage is super super nice of 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 all things you know it's something that a lot of other companies had chintz out on but this thing is like looks like the same diameter and material that they do their suspension links out of yeah i think it's uh those shift levers are centered steel i believe that is so cool. But, I mean, looking at it, dude, you would almost be like, this is a machine part. Like, it's that good of a centered part. That's rad. It's just ingenious. I, I don't know. I'm just, the first one baffled me. I thought it was killer. And this thing, you know, it just raises the bar again. And I'm just absolutely blown away by the amount of thought and ingenuity that went into this. I mean, it's just a really, really impressive piece of engineering. Yeah, definitely. And then the second part to Chris's question is not even related um, to the Phoenix, but uh, can a servo winch be made, I guess it's supposed to be functional, by just programming it to a radio with just a three-position auxiliary channel without having to get an intermediate uh, controller like the one from Hey OK, or will you get servo creep regardless of a controller? Um. Yes. Yes. You, you always get <laughs> a creep. Um, the only way you're gonna get around that is a wiring it to like a speed control, or b getting the part like you said from Hey Okay, where you still wire it in. You're basically just putting in a smaller speed control, and that's how you're controlling I, uh, the servo. I winch. will say this: the servo winches that I've been doing are made out of the. RTR Reedy servos that come in the elements and I have yet to have a single one of those creep all I did was super glue the pot on it and they haven't moved like it's it's the only servo I've ever done that to that is actually like held up and stayed where it's supposed to so um, I've tried using the Amazon servos and stuff for those and tried using some spectrum ones and the tactic ones I had tried too. I saw Matt from skill builders guild a long time ago had done one of the tactic servos as a winch and he was talking about the creep it had and stuff. And I had the same issue, but the only one that I haven't had that happen with is the, you know, the RTR Reedy servo. Huh? It must have like higher quality potentiometer or something in it that doesn't, change over time even without being turned because i did the tactic thing too in my wraith a long time ago and it made it through one date axial fest and then i had it hooked over the back of the truck you know like you normally do but didn't have have it on a bungee and my trunk literally tried to winch itself in half (laughs) because it started it started creeping and like once they start going dude it just speeds up till it's full tilt you know (laughs) and i walked over to it and like all the lights were flickering on it i was like what the hell you know and then i see that like the winch line is over the top and it's like cutting into my roof rack I was like, dude, it, this winch is going to fold my wraith in half. Like, holy cow. <laughs> oh, funny. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is. So I've gotten lucky because, like, I'm when I'm building them, I'm taking there's like the plastic keyed section that's in the output gear on the inside of it, and some of them I've had to like drill out in other brands. And this one, I'm actually able to just go in with like a flathead screwdriver and just pop the key out so you can put the the pot back inside it. And <clears throat> like even stuffing the pot back in where it was minus the key, like still hasn't moved like there's just enough clearance to where there hasn't been any issues or anything so it's i don't know it's if if chris is looking to do something super super easy he should just hop on the element page and give somebody 20 bucks or whatever for their rtr servo just make a post about it you know or be you know super cool and do an esc to control it which i i have yet to do i've always wanted to do like a bxr and have that control one of my winches but that's haven't got around to it yet yeah i was gonna say the only other thing i've done with a servo winch and this was on one of michelle's dad's rigs um i think we still used a, a controller to control it but it still had slight creep but it was actually the opposite it was going out so every once in a while he'd be driving and he'd realize his hooks like dragging along the ground so he'd have to like bring it back in and then you know continue doing it is if you put like an on off switch to to the power to that um servo yep. it'll act you it won't do anything just kill it and it's done then when you need to winch flip the switch do what you have to do and then you know wash rinse repeat that's kind of a good safeguard yeah. just to do regardless really because it's kind of one of those things that you just never know what's going to happen i mean like i've powered rigs up and had servos do weird things and yeah like just i don't know doing the switch like you said is probably just a good safeguard yeah. Mm -hmm. So, David Pig, what are your thoughts of the two-in-one ESC motor combos? The, dude, we got the perfect guest for that. I was going to say, <laughs> perfect. Uh, well, we don't make one, but uh, I, I think they have their place. You know, it's a super compact little unit, and it definitely cleans up the install. So, I do like that about it. Um, what I don't like about it is that if anything goes wrong with the motor or the ESC, you have to replace both, you know, and, or, and you have no option to change to a different KV motor, you know, you'd have to get a whole new system, which I guess they're not horribly expensive. So you could just have multiples with ESCs in them, but you know, that's a good point that I, that I've never, really I never thought, thought of. about it either. I've just always well because I guess maybe I'm just one of those weirdos that never really changes your motor once you you know have it in the rig um because like I typically like for instance my capper was the one that took me forever to figure out what motor I wanted to go with because my instinct was always a 2700 because that's like the sweet spot for most uh 10th scale you know trail rigs so I was like well you know I'll go with that but then after seeing somebody with that and i was like well, no it's way too fast with that transmission i was like i need to drop it down and i actually went i still probably could have went a little lower but it's one of those once i have it i kind of just make it work or you know i do enough research and just pick the one that i want to go with and then yeah just i don't even know who all's making those now i know like hobby wing i believe Orion tried it with like a basher setup or something, I think years and years ago. And then I never heard anything about it. So I'm sure they abandoned that if they're even, dude, I don't even know if Orion's still around. I haven't seen their electronics forever. 
Uh, yeah, I've I've heard rumors, but I I don't know for sure. They tried to do that the HMX stuff. Um, I don't know, six seven years ago. I want to say it might have been. Eh, it might not have been that long ago. It was a while back because I was um, driving Kyoshos at the time. I think when I first saw that. Yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty sure they're still out there. Um, I think it's changed hands a few times, and I mean I don't see any current stuff really. The replacement thing, that alone is kind of, I mean, regardless of like where, you know, like my electronics allegiances lie and all that, like just the point that you brought up about replacing stuff, you know, if it does fail, like I hadn't considered that. So that's kind of enough to steer me away from it. Yeah, I mean, but on the flip side, they really aren't, they cost less than a separate ESE motor, you know, conventional setup, so. I mean, maybe it dies and you just don't care. You throw it away and toss a new one in. I know a lot of people do that. Yeah, so. no, it could be. I, I mean, I, I'm sure they'd rather post about it on Facebook first and then <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> point out the fact. Oh yeah, that you gotta broke. go. You gotta go thrash the manufacturer first, you know, and then just go get another yeah, one. There, there's protocols for this type of thing, and Facebook is always the first place you go for any kind of <laughs> technical assistance. Mm-hmm. So, Ron Hinkle, I just found your podcast. Can't wait to listen. Well, thank you. I know Ron. Not personally, but he's one of our customers. Hopefully you're not too nice. disappointed. <laughs> yeah, don't. yeah, hopefully we're not Hopefully we're not boring him or anything. Like, <laughs> it's like I was expecting way more. Okay, and then, and then Nick LaRusso has a, like four or five. Uh, he's got like three questions. Um, start with the first one. Will Jay admit to being a fan of the Dead South? What is that? I saw that earlier. I, I don't, don't know, know what it is. I don't know. I don't know. The you Dead might need South. To yeah. Um, need, I'll try Googling yeah. it. It sounds like a band. Yeah. The Dead South. Huh. And then he's got another question. Will the SOR gatekeeper lower arms be available in raw aluminum so we can do a mirror polish for those pavement slash self shelf queens? Oh boy, um, I, I I doubt it. <laughs> we just got a, we just got the first batch back from anodizing, so I doubt it. <laughs> um, maybe in the future, it it just it all depends. Um, I don't know. Personally, I don't like the maintenance involved with that sort of thing. But if somebody wants to just completely punish themselves and have to polish it all the time, then I'd probably be willing to do that for him. Maybe if Nick wants, I can offer him up like one of my pre-release pairs that aren't anodized and then he can knock himself out. But probably not an option we're going to offer. And I just pulled up the Dead South and... Uh, I hate to judge based on appearances, but they are a band and they look, if I had to describe these guys based on appearance, I would say they're Amish core. Um, it looks like a bunch of Amish dudes standing in a field, but they're all slightly edgy and have kind of long hair. And, uh, one has a tie, one has a bow tie and the other dude is showing a little bit of like hairy porn chest with his unbuttoned shirt <laughs> so i, I nice. i'm gonna i'm gonna say probably won't be um but yeah no i didn't even know amish core was a genre so yeah 
dude. You never know unless you take a listen. All right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, Nick Larusso also asked, has Adam mounted a tire on those rims? I mean, the wheels that broke Facebook. Uh, yes. So the reason why it took me so long to finally do it was because I wanted to um, Cerakote them burnt bronze. Well, I had my first uh, failure with uh, Cerakote right before Axial Fest. So I shit canned them and let them sit. And then I had to take them to my buddy and get them reblasted. Um, but now they have been Cerakoted again correctly. And they are under the 10.3 uh, JL, oh, nice. which the only picture I have is the poser shot I took at Crawl for a Cure. I'll probably have to post that up, but yes, they have him. So mounted. what, what failed just because I know Sarah coding popular and there's people out there that might benefit from knowing like what the process needs to be. Okay. So the, I think it was a two part failure. One being that I didn't pay attention to the shelf life. So Cerakote has a one year shelf life from the day you open it. And I've had the Cerakote uh, sitting for a little over a year. Uh, since I've used it on my first set of wheels, and I didn't know that. So it starts chunking up, and then the problem that I was having was I went to go spray, and even using the strainer, I guess some of the chunks still made it inside the hopper on my airbrush, and all of a sudden I'd be spraying, and then nothing would come out, and then it would like spray again, and then nothing, and I'm like, oh, what is going on? So I kept tearing everything apart, and that's when I started noticing the chunks in there. And I was like, um, okay, I don't think I'm supposed to be spraying with this stuff. And then I did dug a little deeper on their website, and they flat out said it's used within one year of purchase. Interesting. Huh. I did yeah. not know Cerakote had a shelf life. Yeah. Well, I guess once the air gets to it, because I always get the little tester stuff from the brand Cerakote um, because it's like, I want to say it's like 30 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that. And I think it's like six or eight ounces. And surprisingly enough, that will that will be enough to do like six or seven sets of wheels. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a, it goes a long way. So I was like, all right. So I bought it and I was thinking, okay, I could use this down the road. Well, when you get it, they actually tape the crap out of the lid for I think two reasons, one for air, two, so it doesn't spill. So I guess if you go through, you know, and try and make it super airtight again, you probably can get a little longer shelf life. But like I said, mine started to chunk really bad. Um, so like it was giving it that really, you know, like when you use spray paint and it comes out and it kind of like spits and you got all the raised bubbles. Yeah. That's basically what it did. And I was pissed. So I just, Instead of making matters worse, I just let him sit, and I said I'll deal with this when I get back from Axial Fest, and then I gave him back to my buddy to blast again because he's got a parts blaster, and uh, yeah, then I got him back, baked him again to get any kind of oily residue off, and then redid it with a fresh batch. Crazy. So, yeah. Um, And then Nick's last question, and then I got to jump on Instagram uh when are you guys going to do the show in auto-tune <laughs> we talked about that didn't we <laughs> <laughs> oh uh i don't know we need i think travis was gonna look into that we'll blame it on travis we haven't written it off yet it would be pretty funny though 
maybe like an intro or something. Yeah. Like I don't know if I could listen <laughs> the to whole a lot thing of sounded like auto tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, so this is not a question. I guess Chris is calling it a shameless plug. He said, "Anyone in the Pacific Northwest interested in helping?" And help with their uh, drift car. Northwest Hobbies in Albany, Oregon is hosting an event this Sunday. He said he will likely be there uh, and said no charge for autographs. That And then he gave the address 2095 14th Avenue Southeast, Unit M4, Albany, or- Albany Oregon. Dude, that's so, like a six I hour guess drive for me. So are you going to go and drift? It's like a six hour drive for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'd like to but i don't know that's a long ways to go and i don't like tomorrow i think our car gets here like i'm not building a drift car like i'm building a rally car but just more just for product photo stuff um got one of the tamaya um ford escorts coming so that'll be kind of a fun one but i don't know it probably wouldn't drift as well as a drift specific car but if i had it finished and stuff maybe i would consider driving six hours to go down there to check it out drifting is pretty fun though dude if it's a good setup track and you got some good drivers and you're used to your car like it's really fun just like trying to hit clipping points and stuff and and like tandem drifting, dude, that's that's way fun if you got a good driver. I would imagine it's very, very hard. Like if I had to guess, I mean, I've played with it like not on any kind of ideal surfaces or anything, but like it's difficult. So I, I have a lot of respect for those dudes that are like super sick at it and can do tandem and stuff like you're saying. That's pretty awesome. It's It's some finesse driving for sure. Especially the rear wheel drive drift cars like. You know, those are crazy steering angles and trying to hang on to that thing. It's pretty fun, though. Nice. Okay, so hopping on to Instagram, we got a handful of questions. So checkered past 503. We know that Travis already – well, he won't be answering this, but we know that Travis – already works in the RC industry with drones and the SOR EPX parts and Jay with graphics. But if you went to work for an RC crawler company and you couldn't work in the department you're already familiar with like design or graphics uh, and team drivers uh, is out, what department would you three like to work in? I would work at Tegan doing shipping and product packaging <laughs> nice yeah that's, that's that's what i would you, do we need that <laughs> that's we what i was that, trying actually, to remember the so. position that you said you needed some help <laughs> in, and i was like that's what i would do and i'll i'll speak for trav since he's like 50 percent of my dna so i guess i'll answer for him same thing he would do whatever ty needed him to do whether it's like mopping floors or getting coffee or whatever so yeah, serving, yeah that'd serving. be cool to have an intern. It would. That would be our, our dream job. <laughs> well, since I'm not in RC, I would like to just any kind of like designing, honestly. You should get into customer service, dude. It is super, super calm and rewarding. I'm sure it is. <laughs> you would love it. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know how fast? You know how fast I'd mo- I'd, I'd mother f somebody out. Oh, it, 
it's delicate and like i have to get coached on stuff so much because like i can mean one thing in the way that i type like not wanting to use a bunch of words will just sound super short and mean and so i'm always trying to get help with that so i should kind of take that back a little bit so i don't jump that quickly to being that hostile because i deal with it a lot with clients and you know all that stuff in construction um but there is a point where i mean everybody does reach a breaking point where you're just like okay how how can I pound this into your head without sounding like a total ass? So you'll finally understand it. (laughs) That is like the, the, the biggest challenge. I think if you can handle change orders and stuff like that at your construction job, then you could absolutely handle RC. Well, the change orders aren't that bad. It's getting it's some, it it depends on that really depends on the client. Now we've had clients that are straight up like, yeah, we want to add this. And you're like, you do realize we just closed all your walls. Oh, that's fine. Open them back. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Then there's other people that are like, what do you mean? Isn't it just like this? And it's like, oh, why? Because you watch, you know, Chip and Joanna and they just poof and it happens. No, it don't work like that. So yeah, no, we get, you get, it depends on the client when it comes to change orders, but that is a true story. We're uh, the one project we're working on right now. We, we had the walls open for like six months and they just sheetrocked everything. Tapers are coming in, making everything perfect. And they're like, can we add new heat floors to the, um, to the basement bathroom? And we're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. We wanna. And I'm like, you do know we have to run a whole new circuit for your floors. And they're like, so how hard would that be? Um, well, now we got to go through and make a bunch of handholes everywhere so we can fish wire through the walls just so you have a circuit dedicated for your new heat floors. And probably after the drywall's already been textured and everything else, too. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't textured, but it's all been taped. Oh. So it's all smooth and nice. Right. So we're like, oh, Lord. So we're, we told him, yeah, we can do it, but we just want you to know this was a question you could have brought up to us about like four months ago when everything was wide open. But anyway. Has humanity learned to um, match <laughs> drywall texture yet? Like are we to that level or are we still a couple decades off from that? Because when Depends, I got out of construction, no. they couldn't do it. Depends on the taper. That's that's what I've learned because – all right, let me put it this way. So like some texture – so there's like numerous ways to do different texture. But like the hardest part, it, it is true. Like if there's some sort of like a skip trial, every person who lays it down, it is going to be different because they'll have their own technique. It will be close, but it might not be 100% the same. Um, so that part is hard. But – there's guys like I've was kind of like blown away. Like we've done some projects and I'm cutting holes and it's like, you know, the old school orange peel. And I'm going, I don't even know how you guys are going to make this look like we never touched it, but whatever, make our holes, do whatever we have to do. Patch you rock back in. They come through and you're like, couldn't even tell you open the wall. Wow. Dude, I was like, that's insane. I've never so, seen Like that. I said, <laughs> it depends on, like I said, the 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 taper some tapers know what they're doing and others it's you know they might be good at like you know 
floating or, you know, just taping. But when it comes to their texturing, they might not be able to do it. But yeah, no, it's doable. Um, I kind of had to try my hand at it recently because we remodeled two of our bathrooms. Super fun. Don't ever do it. <laughs> um, actually, it wasn't that bad. Um, wife and I did a lot of the work ourselves, you know, and then I had a tile guy do all the the stuff that I don't have the tools to know how to do. But yeah, we had to hack a bunch of holes in the wall, you know, and she's like, how are we going to patch all this up? And I was like, well, I know they have that spray can crap, but it never looks the same. And it's like nine times out of 10, you're going to get a can that just sucks and doesn't spray right. And you wasted $20. Um, but the texture in our house is knockdown. So I got to try my hand at that and I'd never done that before. Um, but it actually turned out pretty decent. Um, I can kind of tell cause I'm the one that did it, but no one else can really tell. And now that I did all that work covering that stupid wall, we're going to just cover the whole thing in shiplap anyways. So I'm super <laughs> glad that I spent like four hours trying to match the texture. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. I was going to say, so that is one way to cheat. I've done that a handful of times. Um, if you're trying to patch up something and they have like knockdown, um and like in your case basically the other thing i've learned with those cans it's almost like using spray paint you don't want the cans cold you don't want them sitting around you really want to shake them up you want it to be kind of warm everything will flow a lot better um ask me how i know and yeah. um <laughs> yeah no i've trust me because i've done it because we were like short two cans so i ran down to the store one time and didn't think anything of it and got back and you know it was kind of cold out and you know shook it up and sprayed like ass and you're like okay well yeah yeah it, it worked no. for like small holes and stuff like little things where like you know there'd be a towel rack or something and there was a little mm -hmm. you know one inch hole in the sheet rock and i patched it and that you couldn't really tell but it was like the big ones where i had to cut a ton of sheet rock out to get the new tub in mm -hmm. um which was a super pain in the ass because it's an alcove tub and it wouldn't just slide straight in, you know, that's stuffed into the wall and then sheetrock around it. So we had to cut so much extra wall to get it in there. And then it had to be set down in the mud. So we had to cut the sheetrock up extra high, which all that crap was getting tiled over anyways. But the wall just like slide it in is where I had to patch like a huge piece. And that's where I did the knockdown technique with just using like joint compound and a putty knife. And, like you can kind of tell where I did it but it worked way better than doing the spray can crap. Yeah. So the tr the trick I've learned with, with knockdown and it's almost like this with anything. And I actually was talking to the taper over at our project. Um, the remodel project I've been talking about. Um, he actually said the, the problem that a lot of people have is they want what they're doing to look right the first time. And with, with, uh, mud, that's never the case. They said, yeah. do it. And then walk away. Then once it dries, you can sand it, feather it, do whatever you have to do. Then come back. And if you have to add more, whatever, he goes, that's always the best way to do it. He goes, trying to get it right the first time, you're just going to keep chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. And you're going to end up making it look worse. Yep. So, yep. So, especially with knockdown, I found it's, it's easier to kind of like, you know, add a little bit here and there do the same kind of thing, let it dry. If it's a little too thick, just lightly sand it and then add a little more and just keep going that way. Um, the other thing I've learned is feathering. Feather the texture into the existing texture and your eye won't catch the 
immediate change. That's a good idea, actually. But, yeah, yeah, blending it together. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a lot of little uh, uh, tricks of the trade. But sheetrock is definitely my least favorite thing to do. I hands down. Oh yeah. I just it's messy. You yeah. Anyways, um, Jake. What was the question? The question was where are we gonna work? Oh, well, that's right. What you, department? You didn't get the answer, Ty. Yeah. Well, let well you, yeah. I was yeah, thinking, we'll... I was thinking about it, and then we started talking about freaking DIY, <laughs> and I started I started having flashbacks of oh Jesus, the bathroom. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I guess RC. I don't, I already do like shipping. I do a lot of stuff at Teak, and that's the problem. Like if there's something that needs to be done, and someone else can't do it for whatever reason, like I have to step in. You know, I've I've done accounting work. You know, I've done processing orders for distributors and shipping stuff, like team stuff. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna say I'll go work for Joey Christensen building tracks. Oh my god, that'd be fun. It'd be sweet. I mean, it's a lot of work, dude, but it's I mean, so sometimes fun, pushing though. dirt and working with machinery and heavy equipment, even if it's just a little mini X and a skid steer, like that's still fun. Oh, I could do it all day, dude. That's one of my favorite things. I think I miss that the most about like working out at Die Hard and stuff like that is just getting to spend like the afternoon on a tractor and moving dirt around. It's just so much fun. Well, we need to get you a little RC mini excavator then. I've got a couple. <laughs> I saw those are so <laughs> rad. I saw a guy the other day who had a really, really good scale forklift, and I was stupid and didn't screenshot it and didn't ask him where he got it or anything. But he was like, I think he was using it in a video, dropping a canopy onto a RC four-wheel drive forerunner body. Like, it was... It was just perfect the way that he did it. it. It just turned out really, really cool. But I think that would probably be pretty rad is to get one of those. Forklifts are scary, though. There's a lot of crazy accidents that can happen with forklifts. Worked at an RV dealership, and we like to pull boats and trailers up front for the customers. After they've been in service, we had to use a forklift. And, like, they would make us move these big, huge, like, triple axle fifth wheels with a little tiny forklift and oh my god dude like the thing is doing <laughs> nose wheelies as you're like driving across a parking lot and stuff like just probably some of the scariest moments i ever had in my life have been on a forklift not even a dirt bike just forklifts way dangerous <laughs> yeah i did that too i used to work i worked i basically i think it was like one summer at a, a trailer repair shop um, and occasionally I had to move someone's boat or horse trailer or cargo trailer or whatever it was. And yeah, we had to use the forklift and the only, the only, we knew our, like the limit though. And it was funny cause there was one time we had to move something. So we all had to, we all had to pile on top of the forklift to keep oh the back down. It was, it was hilarious. Just like the OSHA. Yeah, we, were shows. Not, we were not OSHA compliant <laughs> at all. I will tell you that right now. Oh my God. Yeah, I do not miss so. that whatsoever, dude. That was, <laughs> you want to talk about stress, you know, and like the customers are like out by the gate waiting for the rig to be brought up and you're just like, holy shit, I hope this goes okay. Like just so scary. <laughs> not fun. 
No, I, you know, back to like Chris's question and everything. Like, I think you seem to be kind of doing exactly like what, I mean, you wear a lot of hats at Tekken, obviously, but like you're kind of doing like what you should be doing, you know, like you're super good at doing video stuff. The web store looks freaking awesome. Um, you know, all of your like social media advertising and stuff and the short videos, not just the Tekken builds and stuff look killer. Like it, it just, it seems like you're like really in your element as far as like your main responsibilities there with, you know, like the web design and everything. Um, I, I'm sure there's, you know, some of the other stuff you'd rather not do, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's cool that you're doing what you are doing though and not stuck somewhere else. Cause I think it probably would have been kind of, you know, a waste of talent otherwise. Yeah, I'm I'm basically doing now what I was originally going to go to college to learn how to do. That's pretty cool. Cause, so it, well, yeah, and Trav's it's, getting it's to rewarding. do that too now, finally. You know, like he went to college for CAD design and stuff and spent, you know, four years not doing that and is just now able to. So that, that's got to feel good, I bet. Yep. I bet it does. It's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, is that all of our questions? No, oh. we still have more. Jeez. I was just letting. You... I told you we got. I said the Instagram ones are pretty interesting because, like I said, we got a That's couple like that the one light pretty ones detailed. Normally, wow. No, but I'm saying like they're a little more thoughtful. Like you know, there's a, they're more complex. Right. So, um, some, not all. So, J King RC, how much would you be willing to spend on a dream build? Are we talking RC or are we talking real? <laughs> like I, I'm, I need, a, I'm I assuming RC, but that's Josh. He's one of my friends up here locally. Mm. Um, I mean, like it all if depends. someone else is giving us the money, or like we have to still pay for it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> um, I mean, like I said, it's hard because I have a build like that. Um, and that's why it's not done because it's, I'm calling it my top shelf. I mean, I'm still going to use it, but I'm calling it my top shelf, but I probably should focus on getting it more done because by the time I get it done, the things would be obsolete. Um, I have a UC fab, um, I guess you can call it a Wraith drop in. Um, one of the very, I think he made like maybe six or seven of those chassis and it's got the Curry rock jock sixties front and rear, um it's got the three gear standard transmission with the dig unit um but like i said everything's been like the chassis was already expensive i had it professionally cerakoted uh before i knew i could do it myself um the wheels were expensive had those cerakoted um the transmission luckily i got buddies like bob tarvin who uh, traded me some parts, and uh, I acquired a Vanquish uh, anodized gold um, transmission housing for that. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of expensive parts on that, and that's why I'm calling it the top shelf build. So I'm just taking my time. Nice. So, yeah, I don't know. But to, to, I guess the answer, I don't know. I'd be willing, if I didn't have to pay for it, I'd be willing to spend up to like, I don't know, there's really no limit if somebody else is paying for it, but I figure five grand, six grand would probably be a norm, like a reasonable for some crazy top shelf build. 
That's going to be a hard one for me to answer just because I've, I'm kind of... Because you're, you're a baller and you have unlimited money? <laughs> no, more, more just... <laughs> that's definitely not the case, but more just... I'm kind of at a weird point where the stuff I want to build, you can't really buy, so it doesn't necessarily cost any money, you know? Like like the Night Runner that I'm doing that's kind of like a pre-runner build with all the cage work and stuff. It's one of those things where it's like what I want to make doesn't really exist. And so I'm spending, you know, like 20 bucks to make it. And so my like ideal, like dream builds that I've been working on and stuff are mostly just manual labor, you know, like just making, making your own stuff, not really going out and like buying anything. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, if if I was going to spend money on like, tires and wheels and just kind of some fancy bling type items i'd probably give myself like a 500 hundred dollar limit on something like that you know maybe like some wheels and nice axle housings or something but that'd really be about it like pretty much everything else is something that i'm probably gonna have to just come up with on my own so it probably wouldn't be very expensive for my dream build hmm i guess I'm just thinking about like the, I guess the Dakar trucks, you know, or I would consider those dream builds that I've already executed. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess hard cost wise, you know, all the off the shelf parts that you can get. I mean, you can go buy all that stuff. I, I think I calculated it up and it was somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 for, you know, everything that we didn't make. So that's like your, your drivetrain, you know, your axles, the wheels and tires, all the electronics, the radio, the speaker, um, the shocks, you know, everything that's just a bolt on item that we didn't have to make. Um, but then it's hard to put a price on how long it took to design that thing, all the different part revisions that we did to make stuff fit. Um, Cause it really was just a like design the shell type project and then figure out how the hell we were going to have everything come together inside and sit on this frame rail setup that we did. So I guess I would say in that like 2,500 to 3000 range for a dream build um, because the rest of it, obviously you need a printer, you need solid works, you need the skills to be able to draw the parts um, and then there's all that t- assembly time and, you know, part finishing, painting, graphics, everything that makes it come together. But I think 2,500 to three grand probably would be right around in there because, you know, even a fully kitted out VS410, you know, with nice electronics, winch, you know, lights, the full nine yards is probably going to be right about that, like 2,000 to 2,200 range, depending on, you know, what brands of stuff you go with. Um, so really the Dakar truck is... Not, I mean, it's more, but it's not a ton more. So, you're kind of yeah, in I guess that I would same say sp- probably about three grand. You're kind of in that same spot too, where like you're you're having to kind of make most of the stuff for your builds. You know, like with those. Yeah, two. I mean, when we came up with this idea, we were just like, we've got a three D printer. Like, yeah, it's gonna suck printing some of these parts and spending hours cleaning them up, but you can make anything you want to make especially when you have a tool like that and a dude that knows how to draw you know my cousin's freaking 
pretty good at that stuff, you know, and just coming up with designs. Like that truck is his vision essentially. Is that your you know? cousin? Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, what? he's actually my second cousin. Real? So. I didn't even know you guys were related. No wonder you get along so good. Okay. Oh yeah, dude, we we click perfectly. Crazy. Like we both love the same music. Like we're both assholes to each other, and it works awesome. Dude, he's so damn funny. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, dude, you should hear some of the crap we talk about <laughs> while we're sitting in our because we're like in our own section of the building, like the whole front area, like where I have the studio and everything set up. Did I do all the build videos? It's just like shelves with tons of cars, you know, display product from 1983 all the way up to yesterday and, you know, some desks and then all of our printing equipment and a huge work table and everything. And, you know, it's basically the equivalent of a garage, but just for RC stuff. That's right. And it's just the two of us up there. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a pretty fun work environment then. Just cause the only time that I've spent any time around Zach was at Axial Fest, obviously, and dude just kept me in stitches the entire time. Like he was so funny. Oh, dude, he's hilarious. And like, and we're terrible, dude. Like, <laughs> I bet people would people would be so offended, and, and they'd be canceling us for sure. That's great. <laughs> Actually, I I have a question for both of you guys, just because it's kind of fresh in my mind, and I don't want to get too sidetracked here off our other questions, but I wanted to ask this before I forget because I'm old, but when you're doing a build, how how far out do you guys plan? Like, for example, with like the bed cage stuff I was working on, you know, on and off, and then last night a bunch out of the styrene, I went into that without like really having any kind of a plan, no drawings or anything. I'm just kind of sitting there like trimming stuff and making everything fit and designing it as I go versus like drawing it out and, you know, okay, this is how I want all the tubes to look on paper and stuff. Like how organized are you guys when you go to make a build? Like, you know, this is for Ty and Adam both because I'm just curious, you know, for, for the sake of my own knowledge, you know, like how like, you know, What's your organizational skills like for planning this stuff out? Well, to be uh, honest, or Ty, you want to go first? No, you can go first, bud. All right. Um, to be honest, like with with most of my builds, it's typically I, it's something has inspired it. Um, I'm usually pulling, and it's not necessarily like one rig. It's like maybe two or three rigs, and I try to combine them. Um, so like, I guess prime example, the yellow blazer, um, I knew I wanted to build kind of like an, you know, cut door blazer, you know, kind of like something you'd see on the trail, but, um, a little more hardcore than your average daily driver. So I look, I just started looking for pictures. Like I was like, I just started typing in 72 blazer and whatever. And then I just usually compel all those pictures and go, okay, this is what I want it to kind of generally look like. I like this cage. I like that what they did with the doors here. I like the bumpers on this one. And then I kind of just put it all together and then see what drives. And now there is a couple times, especially with that build, like the front bumper, like you have a plan and then you execute it. And then you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I like that. And then you end up messing around with it a little bit more. And then you find something that works. Um, I've done that too. And then I've even had uh, other builds where I had the whole thing like visioned in my head, how I wanted it to look, start doing it, 
doesn't look anything like I wanted it to, and I scrapped the whole thing. So yeah, I guess you could say <laughs> I guess you could say it's more like a I try to be somewhat planned, but then sometimes I kind of have to just start with a little bit of a plan and just keep rolling with it and see what happens. Yeah. I think I've done that probably on most of my rigs. Like you kind of get inspiration from maybe the box art, you know, or the real world version of whatever the kit is trying to look like. Um, and then you try and, you know, pick a color, you know, try and figure out like what kind of graphics are going to go on it, you know? And then once you kind of have a color locked in, you're like, all right, now I got to pick a wheel, you know, cause some wheel styles just don't look good on certain body styles. And then that wheel has to be a color that isn't like crazy weird against the body color, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll kind of start thinking about what parts do I need? Like, what do I normally break in a scale truck, which is almost nothing. Most of the time, usually it's like a gear or something from being stupid and, uh, just yarding the throttle when I shouldn't have. And then you're immediately sad and have to go (laughs) fix it. Um, and then, I mean, obviously electronics, I'm like, I already know what I'm going to put in that. Yeah. It's going to be brushless and it's going to have this ESC and this motor and this battery, because I know how that drives. Um, you know, same thing with a radio, like I've got a radio that I use on everything. So I just grab another one of those receivers and put that in the pile and maybe tires is probably one of the last things, you know? And like, sometimes I'll make a list, like with the Dakar trucks, it was like, okay, I kind of know what I need to make the suspension happen. So you go figure out shocks, links, axles, drive lines, if there are even there, any that are going to fit, um, and basically start with getting the thing sitting on tires, you know, and then I, I guess I would say I built ground up once I've kind of decided the direction that it's going um, and finish with the body like dead last, you know, it's it's done when I stick the last sticker on it, you know, or the last scale item or whatever. And then two weeks later, I take something off and change it because they're <laughs> never really done. Exactly. You know, my, my original... SCX 10 JK is like a prime example. Like that thing has gone through like probably three or four like teardowns and complete rebuilds in its life. And it's on its second body. You know, it's on its like fourth set of wheels and tires. It's on its third set of axles, you know, second set of shocks, third set of drive shafts, like, and not because anything broke just because I'm like, man, I like these axles better. Like, and I put these together, you know, and then, oh, the, the 10, two axles come out. Oh, maybe I should put those on. No, we're going to stick with the old ones, you know, and change the wheels and tires, you know, or rewrap the thing and completely change the, the styling of it. That's probably, I did that same thing with my 10, two, my 10, two was the Cherokee that Jay did the custom wrap for. And then I just shit can the whole Cherokee thing after a year and went back to the old, uh, JK found uh, one of the old, what is it, the 2012 JK bodies from Axial and threw that on there yep. instead. Yeah, you know, and then I got I got some builds. Like, I'm staring at my big hard body Unimog that I think I started three, almost four years ago. You started that, what, like, about the same time or before the first Dakar truck, didn't you? I think... 
when was that? I think it was right after the the M55, the tan, uh, okay, the Stuart yeah. Stevenson looking one. I think it was right after that. I was like, um, I was like on a Unimog kick, and I went and found that hard body, and I think I've painted it three times. I forgot you um, even had that thing. So I remember you sending uh, me, me pictures too, of dude. it. It's, I just totally forgot all about it. It has been. I feel bad for it because I work on it and then it gets pushed back because something else is like more important and has like less work to do to get it finished. You know, like this one right. ha- needs like all the mounting designed and printed to get this thing mounted on the VS410 chassis that it's now sitting on because it was on a 10-2. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I can portal this. And then I ended up turning the 10-2 into a rig for my daughter, and I wanted to go VS410, you know, with the new F9 offset portals and VFD because that would give me better interior depth right. and make it a whole hell of a lot easier to get that stuff designed. And now it's, you know, it's it's built, but it has no drive lines and no electronics in it. The body's not all the way put together because I was trying to figure out how to make the front cab tilt open and just like hard mount the bed section. Oh cool and yeah i kind of feel bad it's just sitting there sadly on the top of my shelf (laughs) you guys are way more organized than i am like i just i don't write stuff down i'm terrible about it like i don't write stuff down and really like the only like previs type planning i think that i do is i'll go into illustrator and do like when adam was talking about you know keeping a selection of photos and stuff that kind of like inspire you or you like you know certain aspects of each car like i'll do like a big like photo collage around the artboard in illustrator so that it's like surrounded by stuff and then i'll mess around with like graphics and things like that on it but that's really about the closest i get to ever planning anything out and like the funny thing is is like most of the stuff i built lately like our products are like minimal that goes on i'm like i i haven't wrapped anything since like the rift like i've been on this kick of just like universal decal kits and stuff like that and just stripes and just really low-key looking stuff compared to what i've done in the past but like i don't know like i i think about it and it's like I don't know if I would have had more fun sitting down and like drawing the cage out and stuff or just sitting down and throwing it together piece by piece and seeing how it turned out. Like that seems to work good for me. Kind of just not really having a plan and just seeing what comes of, you know, sitting down for two hours and see what it turns into. Like uh, everybody kind of has their, their own process. And so I was just curious, like what your guys's was because I just, I don't know. I I don't know why I'm so against stuff like that. Like really the only time I think I've ever built things and drawn them out was when I worked in car audio and I would have to like do a sub enclosure. Like I would draw out, you know, and measure and everything for a sub enclosure. But I think anything I've ever done, even like wiring and stuff, I never do any wiring diagrams on like my own truck or anything like that. I just, I just do, I guess. Yeah, no, I don't do that either. I just run wires to where they need to go and sleeve them, you know? (laughs) I need to do that more. That's an area that I've slacked off on a bunch. I I was all excited about it, and I did two rigs and then realized what a huge pain in the ass it is if you have to pull anything apart and replace stuff. So I was like, stop doing it. But I need to get back in the habit of doing that again so I can have better body-off pictures and stuff for people. 
nerd shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll just... Okay, the next one is going to be uh, just a statement, then I'll get into uh, the uh, Ghetto Cowboy RC09 has like five questions. Um, the Goat78, I really need to get into podcasts, especially one about RC. We agree. Yeah, just don't use yes, us um, as and an you example. Might, <laughs> yeah, you might get some RC, you might get some, uh, you know, social climate, uh, maybe a little politics. So some drywall. Uh, constru- <laughs> construction advice. Like, yeah, we we pretty much cover all of it, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how this is just typical for us, too. Like, people are just immune to it by now. Yeah, that's what a podcast is. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on Subaru stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> or Star Wars. <laughs> so Ghetto Cowboy RC09, like I said, has like five questions, which interestingly enough, he actually reached out to me after the last episode went up and I was asking if it was because of Yellow Wolf because he has that, that album. It is not. It is based off the song from uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony. They have a song called Ghetto Cowboy. Really? That's that's what wow. it is. So interesting. I forgot they were um, alive. <laughs> it's been a rough um, year and a half, man. Yeah. yeah. I have an element trail walker. I'm going to turn into an ecto. Any ideas on a performance body other than the ecto body? Ecto is what makes it an ecto because the body's called the ecto. Um. You can use the power wagon body. Yeah, like I mean, you can else. use anything that J Concepts Creep, whatever. So, s- mm-hmm. sorry, what? What's his question again? With it, he he wants to make it he into says an he ecto. Has, yeah, turn it into an ecto. Yeah. <sighs> if you, trail walker to turn into an ecto, the only problem is, wait, trail walker isn't that the one with the small with the one five five? Yeah, that's the one with the kind yeah. of powdery blue weird body, that color that you can't quite put your finger on um if you're gonna it depends on what your intentions are with that rig if you if you're gonna turn it into a serious crawler i would recommend staying with a four link rear end versus trailing arms now there's there's a pretty like hardcore group of dudes that really like the ecto and don't get me wrong i do too like it's been one of my favorite rigs but I personally don't feel like a trailing arm car crawls as good as a four link one because with that weight transfer, you have all of that suspension travel in the back end with trailing arms. You know, it's probably close to one and a half to two times what you would have with a four link setup. And when you're climbing something, and you get that weight transfer towards the back of the rig, it compresses the rear suspension more because it has way more travel, and then now your front end's going to get light. So I've found that the trailing arm rigs don't crawl as good. Some guys argue that. Um, One of the things I did to make a trailing arm rig crawl a little bit better is I used the silicone rift bump stops off of their shocks. They're kind of springy and look like a shock boot. You know, they're, like, kind of thinned. Um... I used those and then I have our link riser on it too because that helps quite a bit on the trailing arm rig and uh, the link riser also mechanically limits how far the suspension can compress depending on where you have your rear uh, 
chassis cross brace that the rear shock tower is attached to. So depending on where that is, is where the link riser is going to hit, or you can do the shock bump stops like what I was talking about. That makes trailing arm rigs crawl a little bit better. But what one of the things we're going to try, and I think the thing will probably end up being really badass, is we're taking Trav's EPX truck and we're just going to stretch the wheelbase to 12.8 from 12.3 and put an ecto body on it because I haven't really seen anybody do that yet. Um, I imagine that thing is probably just going to be beastly because that just little bit of difference in wheelbase makes a lot of difference performance wise you wouldn't think so but it, it's quite a bit so i don't know it, it depends on what your intended use is for that thing um it, you know i don't know <laughs> build build what you want but that, that's just my two cents worth yeah i think leave it basically leave it trail walker suspension and slap a new body wheels and tires on it and then obviously he needs your guys' EPX kit because that just makes it handle a lot better. Yeah, that'd be a good addition for that one, for sure. But yeah, there he goes. And then goes. he's got a couple more questions. If I wanted to go from a 12.3 wheelbase to a 12.5, how would you recommend spacing the link so it still looks scale? Oh, boy. Um, well, I've mentioned this in a previous uh episodes so one little trick i do if you want it to still kind of like look normal is um which i'm almost positive all brands use four millimeter links i think they do now, now yeah so this works great with all of that um get yourself the longer traxxas rod ends i i think they call them the jado rod ends uh they're a lot longer than the standard rod ends and what I typically will do is if I don't need them to be the full length, I will cut them down to a custom size that I need. The hardest part is trying to match two of them to be identical. They might be off just a smidge, but cut them down. Like, so if you only need, you know, like an eighth inch longer than stock, just kind of put a stock one next to it, kind of measure out, mark it with a Sharpie or something like that. So you can see the cut line, cut it off and then boom, you got a little bit longer rod in you can um, adjust your wheelbase uh, to your liking. That's always been my kind of go-to method. That's probably the cleanest way to do it, aside from just making new links. But that's such a small difference in wheelbase that's probably not necessary. That's why I was saying, yeah. I mean, you almost might even be able to just undo it a couple, a couple threads, turns, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you probably do. I mean, you don't want to push the front out too far so you don't mess up the steering geometry but i i used to cheat that way like you know if the body was just like a tiny bit too long then i would try to push both front and rear out just a tiny bit by unthreading the rod ends like you guys are talking about and you know that way it's you know you're not just stretching the rear yeah exactly only because sometimes like if you only want to stretch the rear you're like in a weird link length area but like you said with the jado rod ends like that's a that's a good idea i never did that like i was always threading mine out a little bit and like putting a spacer in there mm -hmm. yeah it's it's tedious and it takes time but i've learned that like sometimes if like you have if you don't want to go through the hassle of making new links that are just a smidge longer you can cheat it with 
the rod ends. Yeah, that's a super good idea. Yeah. Yep. Um, he also asked Adam, uh, "What do you think about AR forty five straight axles and a TRX four sport?" Um, I think that at that point you're just getting looks, um, looks, and it's actually going to change because I believe all Traxxas is um, portals, correct? Yeah. yeah. So, so you're you're going to get looks, and you're you know you're going to lose ground clearance. You have some um, funky gear too possibly yeah yeah it'll yeah. probably gear it it'll gear up which that truck's already geared kind of too tall in my opinion because yeah. don't most of the portals are reducers like I a think. one 1.4 to one or somewhere around there some of them are one to one i know that but i don't remember on the traxxas yeah so um depends on what you're trying to achieve if you're like i said if you're going for performance wise you're probably gonna mess with the gearing um, if you're going for look wise, then, you know, you're getting something that looks more scale. Um, but yeah, if I was him, I, I mean, aside from like the pan hard and stuff might be a pain in the ass, but if I was going to do what he's doing, I would pick up a set of like SSD, the, um, diamond pros or what's the the D D 60. Is that what it is? What's the uh, one that looks so, like a Dana rear end? D forty four, D forty. No, it's the it's the Pro forty four. Pro four. Yeah, I would go that route just because they look pretty realistic. But who knows how that's going to work with like you know the pan hard mount and everything else. And to my knowledge, there aren't any SSD servo and axle mounts. So he's he's going to have some obstacles probably to overcome doing either you know either the axial axles or another brand. He he's kind of probably got his work cut out for him yeah just figuring out the link lengths you know so everything does what it's supposed to do and the suspension cycles right and yeah the front axle yeah. sits where it needs to sit and that kind of stuff but i say do it dude portal axles are ugly yep yep <laughs> um actually man, they're not <laughs> i'm just a, a portal look. i'm just a portal hater because i like driving straight axles better but they they have their place like i said earlier yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, he must be all. He must have a little bit of everything because he's asked questions about Traxxas element. Now he's got one for axial. He said, "What modifications, if any, would be needed to put an SCX ten two transmission in an SCX ten three Gladiator?" Not a fan of the two speed. Oh boy, I don't know. Uh, if I'm that. not, no, if I'm not mistaken, because um, I mean I know definitely in my kit it did. Um, it has a skid plate, come, doesn't it? Yeah, it has a it has a second skid plate that you can. It's already got the mounting holes for the standard three gear transmission. Oh, for the three gear, not even the one that was in the ten two. Well, when he says ten two transmission, I guess he needs to clarify because the ten two transmission, like the kit version, I, yeah, I wouldn't put that in anything. I guess I'm the only one who doesn't have a problem with that transmission. No, I mean, it, it um, was yeah. okay. It's just I I wish it was easier to have flipped around facing the other direction so that, like, the, the oh, yeah. housing's facing forward and stuff. But Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but, yeah, no, the uh, – uh, if he's talking about, like, if, if the 10-2 that he's been, like, seeing, like, you know, whether it be, like, the Deadbolt, Honcho, Blazer, all of those had – the standard three gear it comes with 
the other skid plate to put that three gear in there if that's what you're looking to do. Now, if you're looking for the SEX 10-2 kit style, that one, your best bet would probably be you might actually just have to butcher a skid plate and drill some holes. So the 10-3, the kit one that you bought that's your white JL, mm-hmm. that came mm-hmm. with an extra skid that has, that has the four holes for a three-gear trans. Correct. Dude, that is awesome. I think they did that in the 10 the 10 2. Yeah, I remember like the, that. I just didn't know that they would even care about the 3. I mean, it shows they're paying attention to what people like. I mean, that's cool. I'm almost positive it did because I got a bunch of extra parts and I swear the extra one of the extra parts is a is a skid plate. Kind of, I could be kind wrong. I'm impressed by that. Yeah. But cuz that's still a, just a tried and true yep. like, you know. Yep. Mhm. I that's a simple transmission like we've been using it for ever. Yeah, and reliable. Um, and then also, lastly, if it didn't, I still think, based off of how they design the chassis for the 10.3, I'm almost positive you can still put a 10.2 skid in there. I'm almost positive the holes line up. Maybe. It's not until you get to, it's not until you get to the part where it slides and adjusts the length. That's where it gets different. Other than that, I think the center's still the same. He could probably, mm-hmm. unless the width has changed, he could probably have somebody 3D print him a skid for the three gear and then just make his own holes if he needed to, line it up to the to chassis rails and then mark it and drill yeah. his own holes. That might work. Very true. Interesting. Huh. Dude, he, he's a hobbyist, man. He's, he sounds like no, he's I know. deep. And, and wait till you get to this last one. This one's really going to blow your mind. All right. Why are guys doing dual motors instead of just going with a bigger motor? I get the motor on axle, but not the dual motor plate in the trans. Sorry for all the questions. We are new. That's a great question. Are there a lot of people doing dual motor setups? I remember, like, back in the day, I used to see it, but, like, I I haven't seen it in a long time. And even back then, I I saw it a bunch. Like, with, with, yeah, it's like brushed motors, you know, and they'd put two of them on there and i'm like that's freaking badass but that's a lot of extra weight up really high too yeah and then you've got i mean how does that you're using two escs obviously right so i mean how do you how do you sink i mean wouldn't don't you run the risk of possibly one of them not quite being you know matching output you know and having it I mean, it just seems like it'd be so difficult to sync up even. Yeah. I mean, with brushed, you can run both of them off one ESC. That's easy. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's just, you know, sending power out to them. It's not like brushless where it's actually got a, like a phase firing order. Ah, okay. Um, You know, those, you cannot do two motors on one ESC. You have to have, you know, one brain controlling this one, one brain controlling that one. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, the brushed ones, like, I guess if you were really that concerned with it, you could actually adjust the end bell timing to, like, sync the RPMs up as best you could. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, I, I, I remember doing it in, like, big old monster trucks and stuff where we'd put, like, big old DeWalt, you know, 750 <laughs> or 775 drill motors in them, like two of them. And 
uh, I remember doing that back in like the early Emacs days, dude. Like we're talking like when the wide max wasn't even a thing yet. Oh wow! And we'd put dual drill motors in there with a Kershaw Designs motor mount, I think it was, and then like you know three seven cell nickel metal packs and like <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty crazy. So ridiculous. <laughs> but in, yeah, in a crawler, I I haven't seen that very often. You know, especially now, like the motors are so powerful. I don't know why you would need two. Yeah. Now that is all the questions. Dude, he had some good questions. Some yeah. Of the best no, and it, like, I said, and that's what I was saying. You know, it was interesting because like we actually got like quality questions. Like instead of like the same, you know, how many times have we an- we've answered about? I mean, we've answered. Uh, servo winch questions a handful of times we've answered what's the other one the generic what is the best servo to go with <laughs> oh the the one that fits your budget i guess <laughs> i had a guy i so i had a post of that night runner that i'm building and i was talking about how you know next up is some big tegan brushless horsepower and it was funny one of the guys is like, how about some Holmes Hobbies power instead? You know, it's just like, oh, man, this guy must be sponsored. It's like the typical sponsored dude answer. Like, this is what you need because I get a deal on it. So this is what you buy. Like, you know, we didn't do our sponsored, uh, our sponsorship annual episode this year. Well, we still got time. Well, I, I think we shouldn't. You know, still you got know some, what? Still got a couple months. I I think this year what we should do is just be super honest with people and just say, hey, don't be in a rush to get sponsored. And this is actually, I'm like stealing something that Ty had told me a long time ago, but especially when it comes to like tire or body sponsors and stuff, like it stifles your creativity being limited to one thing. And I... I was super excited to be like a pro line driver and everything back in the day and stuff, you know, when I finally had gotten sponsored by them, but it really does limit your creativity. So this year I was just going to say what we ought to do is just say, Hey, don't be in a rush to get sponsored. Just have fun, build your stuff. If there's a brand you want to support or something cool, but other than that, just do your own thing and make whatever the hell you want and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to box yourself out of other options. You know, like someone might come out with a tire that you're like, oh, that's, that's sweet, but I can't run it. Right. You know, yeah. I'm ex- sponsored by whoever. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just you're limiting yourself. So I don't know. I figured that'd probably be a good thing to close on because some people are probably expecting, you know, third year in a row now <laughs> of us to have a special about sponsorship do's and don'ts and stuff. But this year I say don't get sponsored. You'll have more fun. Yeah, I, I would tend to probably agree with that, especially in, uh, I guess, anything that's not like straight up track racing. Um, yeah. You know, we, we went through that phase where it was like we had tons of like scale enthusiast guys that were sponsored. And I mean, that's cool. I, I love seeing that kind of stuff. And like you're promoting the brand you support, you know, and, and helping them you know, with their image and, you know, advertising and all that and trying to just push the whole hobby forward as a whole. 
but you have this massive group of people that like really sneer at guys that are, will do anything to help you know a big company promote for you know a back scratch yeah. type of thing like it almost kind of is a black eye in some regard like there's just a lot of people out there that are like oh you know there there shouldn't even be sponsor drivers in this genre of rc you know yeah so it's kind of a double-edged sword like yeah you've got guys that are super enthusiastic and promote the hell out of everything that you know they're wearing and have on their rigs and then you've got these other guys that will almost purposely not buy all that stuff just because they're annoyed by it yeah exactly yeah i see that it's a lot of contracted customers is what it amounts to it's kind of lost its meaning throughout the years where like your accomplishments and merit doesn't really mean anything anymore you know so i think once it's kind of gotten to that point now where it just isn't the special thing that it once was no no there's too many that are like you said they're basically a contracted customer like I don't know. I guess I, I was, you know, more in favor of like an ambassador type program that, you know, you send a brand ambassador a bunch of swag and like, you know, literature and links to, you know, all your information that you're trying to get out to people that, yeah, okay, you get to wear the logo and you, you're the Tekken guy or whatever. You're the, you're the Axial guy. You're the whoever. And, you know, you've got some gear with you whenever you go to local events and, you know, you can give people lanyards and stickers and, you know, help them with product and kind of know the product line a little bit better than your average RC guy and like help people make, you know, purchasing decisions or, you know, just offer advice on like, oh, no, I wouldn't put that set up in that truck. Like you'd be much more happier with this, Um, you know, and, and then it's not just a straight up like I'm a sponsored driver you know, yeah, kind of a thing. Exactly. It's I'm an ambassador and I, I like this brand and I want to help everybody that uses it type of deal. Well, it's kind of like all the same things that you would want a sponsored driver to do anyways. You know, like I, I think that idea sounds fantastic. I think that should be like a good template <laughs> for everybody in this hobby. Cause I think that makes a lot more sense than just, you know, okay, your, your new contractual obligation is to just, <clears throat> blast our name everywhere whenever somebody asks a question and say this is what you need you know like it's just it facebook is so flooded with the stuff like that where you know it's just someone asks for advice and it's just all of a sudden everybody's bro helping out another bro saying no this is what you need and no one can tell you why it's just because i got hooked up with it so yeah yeah, I think, you know, for that kind of stuff, especially crawling scale world, you know, not it's not like the hardcore top level race environment. You you don't necessarily sign someone as a driver and say, "Okay, here's your 55, 56 whatever your discount is, you know, off of retail." Like that's just kind of hollow in a sense right. and just like you said earlier, they're just a contracted customer at that point. Like I I think it's better to try and just you know give them things that they can give to other people and then there is some type of like reward program but not something that's super strict and like you have to send in pictures and you know race reports and stuff like that yeah i like the coupon code idea 
if somebody's mm-hmm. you know online store is able to support something like that i i think that's cool because then it gives you a way of seeing whose referrals are really you know turning into sales i think i think that's a cool idea but i don't know, like this year we we're not even sponsoring people like we just completely stopped doing it like really the last 2 years like we just help out buddies and people that we like and stuff and that's it and honestly it's been so much more fun because trying to get people to not be lazy and do what they're supposed to do is really difficult and i just don't have the patience for it and it was something that was just way too much of a chore with me and just ground at me and made me hate the hobby even more dealing with like team guys you know and now it's just it's so much better dude so much better so i don't know figure we could close out on that because if there is people out there that have been listening to 93 of these episodes so far they're probably noticed that one's missing so we're able to cross that off the (laughs) list tonight in a really quick fashion so no we'll do an episode that'll give us something to talk about because remember we just had the axial scx oh the six six. we didn't even talk about that thing i mean we did last did did we go into that in pretty good detail last week yes okay oh that's right senior edit that's right i remember now because people are asking about other brands jumping on board too yes Okay, I remember now, sorry. Yeah, so no, what I'm saying is we talked about that. Now we have the Vanquish. I mean, unless somebody else comes out with something next week that we don't know about, then, you know, we could be having some slow episodes. We can do our annual Silly Season episode. That's true, we could. Did you guys ever cover that, uh, the Rebel RC truck that came out? Briefly last yeah, week. Yeah, real lightly. We didn't really, at least me, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Travis yeah. knew a lot about it. Yeah, he was all over it. He, he's his involvement lately has gone up a bunch. Like, dude, he's talking about like building a scale garage now and stuff. Like things that I never ever expected him to have any interest in whatsoever. Like he's like totally geeking out now and like got his gatekeeper finished the other day and posted some pictures of it. And like he never posts pictures on Facebook of stuff that he's built and everything. So it's like he's actually like kind of turning into a dork now it's kind of cool <laughs> well and he's having fun all like clearly yeah yeah you know be excited about it yeah it, it's so. it, it, seeing him able to maintain some enthusiasm for it dealing with the things that he has to deal with is like his job with sor and stuff is like I, that's pretty cool that he's able to because some of the stuff that he has to deal with he i would imagine he'd be kind of burnt out but no i mean he's like wanting to do the whole garage thing and everything so uh, it's kind of cool nice yeah yeah sometimes you know taking a step back and really evaluating things that yeah it sucks dealing with this but that's only a tiny part of my day so i'm not gonna let it ruin the majority of my day yeah that's the stuff i have that's to what i've had to do man through. yeah yeah customer service stuff like it can be pretty cutthroat you know and then social media is just even worse and i've gotten to the point where like i've just distracted myself by driving rc more because sometimes i'll go through periods where i'm like man i haven't touched a radio in like four months and that's wrong yeah no same you know same and i've gone to a couple races and like i feel almost like reinvigorated excited about stuff like wanting to get back into racing off-road like 
I mean, I'm I'm building a nitro car. That tells you how excited Dude, about racing rad. I am. And, you've and been I don't doing do good nitro. Too. You've been doing really, really <laughs> well too, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to go around the northwest, you know, and I show people I can still wheel every once in a while. It's funny though, because like with your situation like this, like returning to racing, and all of a sudden you're like just you know super fast again. Every time Travis and I have ever taken a step back from racing, we end up coming back and being better than we were a year prior somehow. And I'm not sure how that works, but it's like, like you said, just you're invigorated and kind of maybe forgot about some of the things that got in your head, you know, previously and stuff and end up doing better. But it is really strange. Like anytime we've ever taken a break, like with, like with what you did, just end up being even better. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I handle everything a lot better. I used to get, you know, pretty upset on the driver's stand. Like, I wasn't that guy that was yelling at stuff. But, you know, now I'm just like, this is supposed to be fun. I'm actually having a lot of fun driving this track. And I'm not going to let a little race incident, you know, ruin this whole three-day race trip that I'm on, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just try not to take it so seriously. Like, it's like a fine balance between being over serious and being a complete goofball about stuff. Like, you got to find out that, like, happy medium. Because if it's not fun, dude, like, there's no, I I won't do it. Yeah. You know, if racing is super high pressure and I am more nervous than excited, I'm like, yeah, it's time to take a break or do something else. Yeah, that's actually really good advice. Like, super good advice. Well, boys, should we end on that? Like, don't tie tie yourself into all of these commitments. And honestly, I would bet nine people out of ten that would, like, drop a sponsorship to just go have fun and run whatever tire they want probably have more fun. And there's less pressure on yourself. It's definitely been that way for me. Like we've thinned down the list pretty far from where we were three years ago, and I'm definitely enjoying even just building stuff more. I'm enjoying so. Yeah, I was all wrapped up in that, dude. I mean, you know, you were making my shirts and oh yeah, tons of companies, you know, and like I'll still support them and put their stickers on my stuff and give them a shout out. But it's like I don't really have a commitment to anybody, so I'll use whatever I want to use. And it, yeah, it's freeing, you know. Like it, it really is. Like it just. And, and it's weird because it does help you with work, like, too. I mean, I went and drove for the first time since the Night Runner was released. So it had been a couple months, you know, like you said, that, you know, I'd gone without even picking up a radio. And, man, like, I just have been in a better mood with, like, work and everything else ever since. Like, you just kind of ride that high out for the next couple of days. So I think it's – I need to get back to just, you know, if I need to work a couple late nights and just take a day off and go drive and have fun, I think that my entire world benefits from that a lot more. So I just need to make a point of doing that. It, it's yep. hard. Everyone needs a crawler course or a track or whatever they're into – yeah. That they can just step outside and go use it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. Dude, I've put 48 hours, almost, oh, I'll call it 50 now, on my e-buggy just on our track outside the shop. That's so rad. This summer. <laughs> and your guys' track looks really good. It looks fun. It's way fun. It came out awesome. And, you know, it's it's just, it's I don't know. I go out there and I just forget about other stuff. I don't really think about much while I'm driving, you know? Exactly. And yeah, dude, it's like, it's 
throttle therapy. Like, <laughs> that's rad. Yeah, that's what everybody needs for sure. Well, gang, you want to call it? So we're yeah. Sounds about, good. What? I think we're probably there. <laughs> yeah, we're almost two hours. That'll be good. People probably wanted one of oh, these dang. good episodes. For been waiting for one for a while. So. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to us, and thanks for coming on tonight, Ty, and talking about the VS410 Phoenix. That was just perfect timing. That couldn't have worked out any better, so we really appreciate it, and it was fun hanging out with you, dude. Yeah, man, it was great. Thanks for having me, and I'll have to come on more often. I miss chatting about this kind of stuff. I don't really get to do it that often, you know, other than bugging matt over at scale builders guild all day long on facebook messenger <laughs> oh, sounds good man whenever it works for us sounds good yeah not do the two-year plan yeah <laughs> yeah we need to stay away from that again well thanks again no everybody. dude I'll, I'll be a regular if you want <laughs> sounds good to me Alrighty, guys we'll enjoy the rest of your week and everyone have a good one Make sure I